0: Welcome to this week's episode of Stand Out, growing in the organizing and productivity profession brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Every episode, we will learn from NAPO members and subject matter experts as they share their successes, challenges, best practices, proven
1: strategies, industry developments, and more. And now, here's your host, Claire Kumar, NAPO member since 2010 welcome to another episode of napo's podcast standout i'm claire kumar productivity catalyst and thrilled to be your host especially today it's not every day that you get to spend time with an icon in the industry the incredible julie Morgenstern is here with me so though reports today show that parents spend actually more time with their kids than they used to, parents are carrying a lot of guilt about just how well they're doing and how well they're supporting their kids. We might think it's the undeniable plight of the parent, but in Julie's 2018 book, Time to Parent, she gives us permission to kick that guilt to the curb. She also helps us to understand that what she refers to as intense parenting is sabotaging the way we take care of ourselves. With more of a sheltering in our homes, our spaces are under more pressure than ever to serve us. We need strategies and support like never before, and that's why Julie's here. The strategies in her most recent book, Time to Parent, are gold and can help us better serve our clients. But first, a bit about Julie. Julie Morgenstern is one of the leading experts on organization, business productivity, and time management The author of six, count them, six best-selling books, including the much-loved tome and my first organizing book, Organizing from the Inside Out, which I went to my bookshelf in order to show here, but realize I loaned it out. I do have, however, Never Check email in the morning, and as I mentioned, the most recent work, Time to Parent. She is also a consultant to large corporations and a sought-after speaker. You may have seen her on the NAPO convention stage a few years ago like I did. She's appeared on Oprah, The Today Show, and NPR's Fresh Air, and she's helped thousands of people transform their homes, businesses, and attitudes about every kind of clutter for over 30 years. Julie, thank you so much for taking the time to share your insights with us. I'm so excited to be here. I really appreciate it, Claire. What a great intro. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, so much to draw from. But I wanted to start because you've been in the industry for so long, way before it even got to Canada, which I think we're approaching 15 years, we were 15 years behind the US. I want to look at the big picture. And since many of us had to shelter at home, what's the need for our organizing and productivity services now? What's your sense of the appetite to hire professionals these days? What's shifted out there? Oh, I think
0: it shifted massively. And I think there has never been a more important time for organizers and the organizing industry. I mean, when chaos reigns, people reach out for organizing help. It's right. And I experienced that. And I'm sure organizers listening in March. Listen, I've been in this industry for 30 years through many different shifts in the economy. And every time there's a shift in the economy, if there's a downturn in the economy, I was like white knuckle, am I gonna make it? And i found over the years, whether it's a bad economy or a good economy, people need organizers. Because when the economy is bad, you have to do more with less physically, with objects, with space. And when the economy is great, you wanna harness that and like take advantage of it. And in March, I was scared. I was like, everybody was like, what is going to happen to our industry? Of course, there's the fears of the pandemic and health, but also every business was like, what is going to happen? And I was worried. And I was astonished that instantly the phone started ringing off the hook. Clients were just reaching out. We need help because everything is new. Every routine we had before has been upended. And we need ways and strategies to be able to effectively work remotely. Parents need to juggle working from home and remote learning, uncertainty. As you said, people's homes are being burdened with having to do more around the clock than they were designed to. Who to help but the organizers of the world. I mean, this is our moment, people. We were built for this moment.
1: Exactly right. I know in Toronto, I've seen huge pressure on detached homes because people are wanting a little bit more space for that extra work-at-home space. The kids are studying, and now the open concept strategy has its challenges when a lot of people are trying to focus and concentrate, so... If people can't upsize, which can take some pressure off, boy, do they need our help. And so maybe an effective way to market that is save yourself a relocation, a move, an upsize, and really get your home working in a more effective way for you. Yeah.
0: And not everybody does have that option. So A, not everybody has that option and they don't want to. People are attached to where they live and they love their homes to re-conceptualize your home, to create what I call like a happy hive. Everybody buzzing around within, working from home and kids learning from home, and family relaxing at home as well. You need all three of those functions and they can't all be in the same space. They can't all be around the dining room table because then there's no boundaries between work and home or school and home. So we have to create that structure.
1: Yeah, the home has became the study space, the workspace, the entertainment space, and they have to be that nurturing space. So make sure that that's there in your home, for sure.
0: When people feel it, they're like, I'm ready to declutter. That's another angle. I've had lots of people say that now that I am home, all those organizing projects and decluttering projects that I've put off, I want to tackle it. When are you going to have a chance to do it or the motivation to do it more than now?
1: Yeah, it's the removal of all the other opportunity that now says, hey, this is a good one. Take a really good look at those scrapbooks you intended to actually make and really face it now. Do you want to make them or do you want to pass on the scrapbooking material? I want to come back because 2018 is when you released Time to Parent and you've written five books before that. What prompted you to write that book in that moment?
0: You know, that book, Claire, was I almost feel was like the culmination of both every aspect of my own personal life, growing up, becoming a parent and wishing there was a manual to like guide me and how am I supposed to divide my time now that I'm responsible for another person and all of my work as an organizer and time management coach, because no matter where I went in the world and I spoke and have consulted and appeared all over the world, every continent, not every country, but every continent and many countries. And I found that wherever I went, it was parents' pleas for direction was universal. It was as true for, I spoke in Dubai, I'll never forget that. And I did productivity workshops, a series of productivity workshops in Dubai I don't know how many years ago, 10 years ago. And the attendees were like, wow, I can apply this to my life with my kids. And how do I balance my time between my work life and my family life? I've experienced that in Asia. I've experienced that all over Europe, South America, all over the U.S. So what unites parents is feeling divided with no guidance of how am I supposed to divide my time between raising a human and being a human. And so I decided that I would write that book. And what is the roadmap? And as an organizer, I could organize like anybody's system, physical or time, but I felt compelled to find out what the experts say kids need to feel loved and secure. Because even though I could organize anything, I didn't know the answer to that bazillion dollar question. How much time and attention do kids need to feel loved and secure? Because the mystery around that is what keeps parents on edge.
1: Yeah. Because how do you know when enough is enough? What defines success?
0: How do you know when my day is done, when I've done my job and that guilt you were talking about? So I decided I'm going to do that. And I did that as a culmination of everything. And because my own daughter had flown the nest and I finally had the space to study the question. I couldn't do it while I was raising her. Every parent is just like in it every day trying to get through the days.
1: Well, I have two kids too. They're 19 and 17 now. And the journey has been so richly rewarding, but it's always one more challenge. And you're like, oh, I just figured out the last one. Can I coast for a bit? No, there's another challenge around the corner. And yeah, you need to draw on resources. And I think one of the things in our society that makes it tougher now, and you mentioned this in the book, is it takes a village we're not necessarily in villages anymore, the same way we used to be. So it's not like your aunt is in the building next door and you can share accommodation or share resources. We have to construct that village.
0: You do. And you know you talked about the intense parenting. So I interviewed some of the leading sociologists, a woman named Melissa Milkey in particular, who's been studying family life.
1: There's a bunch of Canadians in your book, Canadian researchers, I noticed. U of T and wealth and
0: Melissa, when I interviewed Melissa, I was like, oh my God, I bow to your feet. Like she has been, anybody listening, look up her work and she's been studying family life. And I asked her what makes this generation of parents distinct. And she said something so profound to your point, which was, she said, you know, this generation of parents has really opted into parenting. They didn't do it as an automatic you grow up, you get married, you have kids. They actually realize I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it well. And I'm not an automatic pilot. They want to do a phenomenal job. They want to really be there for their kids, but they do it at the expense of self-care. They do it at the expense of time cultivated in their marriages. And they feel also that because they brought these kids into the world, it's their responsibility and they don't ask other people to help. They don't build those villages because they
1: feel like I'm the only person who can deliver. Did you see a difference Love that point. And actually, I was just eating up that was in the beginning of the book where you set up the need for this and why we are where we are. And I was just yeah, my jaw dropped when I read that we're creating this out of an intent to parent so well. Did you notice in your travels and speaking around the world, cultural differences in the belief of what we need to provide our children and what we need to provide ourselves, and then how that translates?
0: Well, interestingly, there are nuances. So there are nuances. Like, for example, I spoke in Germany last year. And I spoke at this amazing conference called Chefsache for all the leaders of Germany. the Leaders of every corporation, every educational institute. And they wanted to hear about time to parent. And in Germany, when I was doing the customization call, I found out that there's a term for mothers who work. It's overt. And they call it something called a raven mother. It's a raven mother who leaves their child. So the guilt that German professional women feel is so extreme because there's even a name in the culture for it. But as I say that, anybody listening, do you think that a woman in Asia or a woman in Kansas does not feel guilt when she goes to work? Of course she does. It's universal. So there are nuances But I think every parent wants to be there for their kids. And every parent is very intentional about doing an amazing job
1: and feels guilty, but shouldn't. Right. And so the big question becomes, and you answer it in the book, how do you park the guilt? How do you let go of this? and be able to prioritize being, not just raising, but that being of self. Can you share with our audience? Because as you're working with your clients out there, organizers and productivity listeners, there's the biggest thing I found when I was coaching people is giving themselves permission to make a change. They have a, they have a nugget of what they know they want to do, but there's a big need to give themselves permission. So what in there can help our listeners help their clients better?
0: So there's a few different things because we're in a podcast, we'll do one at a time, and you can drill down so I don't get into like just a monologue here. So I think one thing is how do you release the guilt? So the first, if there's only one thing that everybody listened to and every parent gets, is that in my research thousands of pages of studies, dozens of expert interviews of people who are human development and child development experts. I sought the answer to that question. How much time and attention do children need to thrive, to feel loved, to feel secure, which is what every parent wants to do? How much time and attention is that? Tell us. And it was hard to find the answer. I am telling you, I spent eight years studying it because most experts were like, well, it depends. And you're like, don't tell me depends. Give me a range.
1: I'm struggling the same question around how much social connection do we need?
0: Exactly.
1: Same thing. It's like, how much is enough so we can go and I can plan for it?
0: Yeah, exactly. And we are all fatigued and craving that as well. So here's the answer to that question. What children thrive on according to the experts, according to the studies, according to the science is short bursts of like up to 15 minutes, 20 minutes tops, five minutes, 10 minutes, five to 15 minutes of truly undivided attention, not divided attention, undivided attention delivered consistently, not big blocks of time delivered occasionally. So that consistency and these pulses that are not extra time, they're built into the fabric of the day. You don't have to add time. If you don't feel connected to your kids, you don't have to get all your work done and get all the housework done and then make all this time for quality time. No, it's build it into the fabric of the day. And just think about the transition points in your kid's day. When you It's like every first encounter, That's the way to build it around the key. So when they first wake up, when you leave for work, even if that's down the hall in your own house, when you reconnect in the middle of the day, at the end of the day and bedtime, think about those anchors. And if you spend the first five minutes, 10 minutes, three minutes lighting up and giving your kid the undivided attention, that is what every expert and all the studies say is what gives kids that sense of security, not big blocks of uninterrupted time that go on and on and on. That is so freeing for parents, but that's what kids need. And we can all deliver that.
1: I love it. I love it. And it also made me think of your recommendation when we're talking about taking care of self in terms of physical training, that hit concept. You can do short amounts of exercise. It doesn't have to be you signed up to do a marathon. You can integrate exercise in your day and you can have short bursts. So the same thing requires, and I love the term, parenting pulses. So if you can think you've got to have a beat through the day of this recognition, it's the same thing with leaders and their employees. You've got to have recognition and attention and presence, right? Yeah.
0: And spouses.
1: Oh my, God. well, this is it because if you're prioritizing work, and what happened in my family, my marriage ended about four years ago, I decided that was no longer fulfilling for me. I was married to someone who did not believe that you had to nurture their relationship. If you took care of the kids, then you'd have a great marriage. And I'm like, hello, <laughs> hello. Not a great assumption. I worked on changing assumptions for about three years and I was getting nowhere. So if you're feeling ignored as a child, as a teenager, what are you going to do? You're going to find a way to get some attention. May not be the healthiest, <laughs> healthiest way to choose, but but else you reminded me of those the, those transitions. So when I used to pick my kids up from primary school, I would always be so excited to see them at the end of the day. And you're making me reflect on it, and then I wonder if I could have done something so differently. But I would pick them up. They would jump into the back of the car. They'd be buckled in, and we'd start to have a conversation. And before we got the what seven or eight minute drive home. Ah, they would all something would have gone south and there would have been some tension or disagreement or something. And I thought, oh man, I'm so excited for this transition. And yet even being excited in that moment, I end up feeling deflated.
0: Yeah. But it's, some of this is setting our expectations. Like first of all, kids are going to have meltdowns. Like growing up is not easy. It's like when we travel and you're in a foreign country and like everything is new every minute of the day and
1: you're exhausted. Like how we're living right now and let you go out and you go, I used to not have to stand on a line here. The fatigue sets in of nothing is predictable.
0: And actually to like build on that, that's what the experts are saying. And that's why organizers are so helpful right now is that a brain is a prediction machine. Kids need those predictable points of connection, but we also need them in our days. And the response to the pandemic disruption of every routine is to build routines back into your schedule. And it's not the content of the routines that matters. It's the act of having a routine. And so there was a piece in the New York Times a couple of weekends ago called Pandemic Proof your routines, your habits. It shared some of the science behind what I'm talking about. Dr. Carl Friston, professor of neuroscience at the University College of London. And he was quoted, and he, we were all mourning our old routines. I can't wait. And it's like we're treading water, treading water, treading water. When can we get back to our old routines? Stop doing that because the content of the routine is not what matters why do we create those routines because humans need these oases of i know what to do in this moment that we build in because it's less of a burden on our brains when you're doing anything new the burden on your brain is so extreme and that's what's been happening so build in routines for now and they
1: give you these moments in the day where
0: like i don't need to think
1: Exactly. You're burdening with too many decisions, right? So the decision fatigue sets in. I have to love your choice of words, though, because my morning routine was swimming. So believe me, I would tread water. If I could tread water, I'd be treading water.
0: Mine too. I was a swimmer and I missed the swimming and I missed being in the water, which is a different element than air. And it was so meditative and so great. So, what do we need to do? We need something. A short burst routine, 20 minutes or less, self-care in 20-minute doses or less. That is what we need to do now in this pandemic and even beyond.
1: And I like in your book, there was the talk of rest and there were one to three-minute practices, those pulses of rest you can have through your day too, right? They're easy They're like the amuse-bouche, the little taste. You don't have to make a full course meal. You just have a taster of whatever it is that you need. That's right. And particularly in the
0: pandemic time, who are working harder and longer than ever. Building in these pulses of rest, of one to three minute rest throughout the day will give you the endurance that you need. We can't approach self-care the way we did before. You have to fold it in. And yeah, sitting still, or my favorite of those short pulse. And I got that from a guy named Dr. Matthew Edland, who wrote a phenomenal book called The Power of Rest. And he talks about these short bursts and there's physical rest, just sitting still, just sitting still. Who sits right now? Not in front of a screen. Just sit still and breathe or drink your tea. And he has what he calls spiritual rest which could be like meditation for a minute or two. It could be prayer for people who pray or, and this was the one that blew me away and i just offered to everybody. And when I speak, I offer it and we do it in sometimes in these webinars. He that ponder the cosmos. And if you take a minute or two between zoom meetings, before you leave your work day and you're going to go and be with your kids or spend time with them on remote learning, You take one or two minutes, that's all it takes to just sit still and ponder the cosmos. It does something to energize you that is so beyond words. And I have used that in my workday when I've been in back-to-back presentations. And I sometimes have a minute or two between. And I sit there and I don't know what it is, but like, it's like standing on top of a mountain. Do you know like when, or you stand in front of the ocean and like, all of a sudden you get your perspective
1: on the world. You know, it's sort of a recreation of a sense of awe.
0: It is. And it energizes you. So these are things that are available in short bursts, micro bursts of time to nurture yourself, to nurture your kids, to nurture your pets that you're home with, to nurture your parents or elder care that you're dealing with, which is these are all the burdens on people right now. Short pulses to nurture and rest and connect will give you the endurance you need to get through this
1: and a handful of routines. Power tools. You made me think about why I'm so upset that my condo building put advertising in the elevator. I have a 45 second ride in the elevator. It was a place where I decided I'm not checking my phone. That was a very calm pulse So silence is like covet silence and look for those. I call them moments of exhale where you're looking for that, the release, identify some of those and those can be your pulses. That's exactly right. And you're right. It's an assault on the senses, all these
0: screens in the backs of taxis, in elevators. You're like, wait a minute, I need a moment without another piece of stimulation.
1: Oh yeah, I I used to tell the cab driver, I haven't taken one in ages, but no radio, no extra, unless it's classical music. I don't know if I get in a cab with classical music, all of a sudden, unless it's the, you know, I don't know, crazy outrageous pieces, but it's a very calming form of music to me. So I'm like, thank you all of a sudden. So you recognize the things that bring you those pulses in your day and use them. I think, I don't know about you, but before I would see a client, especially a difficult client, I would have a little routine or ritual to put my, I call it putting my Teflon on (laughs) before I go in, sort of bathe in a color of light, do something so that you're grounded and centered before you're going to serve that client. Because we're in such a giving profession, we can't give if we're really frayed and depleted. So we need that little self-restoration before we go and then be generous again.
0: You're so right about we're in a giving profession, we're in a caretaking profession, and in order to go the distance, not just in the pandemic, but in your career, the more you can develop rituals of awareness of and rituals and practices of self-care to renew and refill, the more you can give to clients, the better you can give to clients, the smarter you are, the more you come up with the right solutions because you, I call it going to Zen, my Zen state before I start a client. And I believe you have to, Go in Zen empty when you go to work with a client. Otherwise, you're going to like rush the solution. You're going to push them faster than they want to go. And the thing will deteriorate on you. So how do I get to that Zen state? I know my process. I know the questions, but I don't know the solutions. I don't know until I listen and ask the right questions and guide them. So I'm with you on that.
1: Yeah, it's connecting with that beginner's mind. So you come in and you know, like I said, this is a dance. We're dancing together and let's see how the dance unfolds. And it takes the pressure off.
0: It does take the pressure off. You really need to be there to listen and God not lead and make the client listen to you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I loved that in the book, you drew from the science both of raising and being a human. And just so listeners know what to expect. There's a model and models are really great tools that we can use as service providers to help clients better understand and hold on to concepts. So you had shed was one of your processes before. And in time to parent, there are two pieces. There's part which is talking about the raising of a human and their self, which is a fabulous acronym. Congratulations on that one. To remind you to take care of being. What I love though, specifically, so just so listeners understand what's there, that's those are two gems to pull out, but have a really close look at part, because what I love that you did there, Julie, was turn that into a matrices with the, with the two angles. And I wondered if you could talk about the two vertices there of how you divide part. Maybe quickly, we can talk about what it is and how you divided that, because I think it's powerful, not only for the concepts that are within, but also for us as service providers to think about what we might do in our own business is as we're trying to take complex concepts and have them resonate with the client.
0: Yeah. So part in the book, I divided the job. This is the job description. Like, is this an infinite job? No. Do I have to juggle 8 million things? Actually not. How many? You have to juggle eight, four for your kids and four for yourself, four for raising a human and four activities for being a human. So on the raising a human, if you think of the acronym, everybody can like picture this in your mind.
1: Just so you know, I'm going to show up a picture here so that anybody who's watching it on YouTube, when we get it there, you'll be able to see this. Okay. I'll just hold this while you talk to it.
0: That's great. Okay. So think of part, the acronym part, like doing your part for another human. We as parents or caretakers need to divide our time between four activities. We have to, these are things that take time, by the way, activities that take time. What's the juggling act? We have to provide for our kids. We have to work and make and manage money to pay for things. That's the upper left quadrant. The upper right quadrant is arrange. We have to spend time arranging the logistics of our kids and our family's lives, which anybody who doesn't knows that is way more time than you ever signed up for and seems infinite. What are they having for breakfast? What are we having for lunch? Where is school? Is it remote? What's the Zoom? Blah, blah, blah. You need to spend time relating to your kids. That's the R in that acronym part. Provide is A, P, A, R. That's spend time getting to know them for the unique individuals. They are that quality time. And then we have to spend time teaching our kids too, right? Values and life skills under normal circumstances. We always have to do that. And today we're also their learning coordinators if they are in school, working on all that. So provide, arrange, relate, teach. That's it. They're all distinct. What's interesting is when we as parents kind of think of them as like, that's our parenting time. It's all time in. Time in any of those is the same. But for kids, they experience each of those kinds of time differently. You know how often it's like you have parents who say, I sacrificed my whole life for my kids. And the kids are like, My parents were never there for me. How does that happen? It happens because some of those activities are visible to our kids and some are invisible. Some take place in the adult world, child world. So now let's look at that. Provide and arrange, which takes so much time, are both invisible to our kids. We're at work, they don't know what we're doing. When are we arranging the logistics? While they're in school, while they're sleeping, at our lunch break. They don't see all that time. What they see is the relate and the teach time because that's in front of them. And so we have to remember we can't just be providers and arrangers and just define that as love, which is what a lot of parents are like, oh, my God, I work three jobs. They always had their meals and we had an impeccable house but did you spend any time FaceTime with your kids? And that beauty is they need short bursts. Thank God they don't need these big blocks of time. So that's that. And then the other thing that I think is interesting when you think about it, and if Claire, hold that up one more time. So relate and teach short bursts, but they're visible, but we even need to recognize that relate and teach are not the same. And this is a mind blower because we tend to think of them as the same. But when we're teaching our kids, we're actually bringing them into the adult world and they are the students of us. When you relate to your child, your job is to enter your child's world and be the student of the child. They feel very different on the receiving end. Am I being asked to listen and learn or is somebody paying attention to me and listening and learning what's important to me. And it also feels different on the delivery end if you really stop and think about it. And parents have to spend, honestly, every expert said, the more time you spend relating to your kid, the more you create the conditions for easy teaching. The less relating and the more teaching, the more resistance, and that makes so much sense.
1: Yeah, and we can think of our teachers, and like and you mentioned, Mr. Brown, I think, in your book, right? This this incredible role model who you grew up with and revered for years, and it's that relatability. All of a sudden, it's we need this at work. We need this in all our relationships. I see you as a human. I care about you. Now, what do you want to do together? Where do you want to go? Where are we going to go?
0: That's exactly right. And relating is about spending time on topics and activities of interest to your child or your employee, or your mother-in-law.
1: Your clients, if they're hiring you,
0: right? Not not on what is of interest to you. The job is not, let's do something we both enjoy. The job is enter your child's world and spend, spend time on topics of interest to them. And if it's boring to you, which it probably is, by the way, it's boring to us. Like we don't want to read the same book over and over. Or play the same game over and over. Don't look for your own enjoyment. Go into that activity as a student of your child. What is it about that activity or story that excites your kid, frustrates your kid, makes them laugh? That activity is just the vehicle for figuring out who is this person? What makes them laugh? Where's their determination? Where's their resilience? What's interesting to them? And that's interesting to us, I think, as adults.
1: This is so powerful on so many levels for parents and their kids. But I'm also thinking for you to end up on stages all around the world, you did a hell of a job being relatable so that companies and leaders wanted to learn from you. So there's a parallel in just what we're doing. You are so
0: right. I think even as adults, as an organizer, no one is going to listen to your advice unless you first demonstrate that you understand their world. That is how I have built my career. First seek to understand. You don't know what solution to give until you really understand who is this person? How do they think? What's important to them? Are they physical organizing? Do they have a high tolerance? Do they like to be? Do they have a love of abundance? If they have a love of abundance, don't go in there and tell them they should streamline everything to like just three objects. That's not going to work because they have a love of abundance. So understand before you prescribe, and people will listen because you listened first. And then what you say is relevant to them, it's not generic. It's not, I say the same thing to every single client, do this and life will be better. No, I like have a whole toolkit of stuff. By listening, I can go, ah, here's the tool for you.
1: So Julie, this was like a masterclass in learning about what's important and also recognizing that it's possible this concept of pulses and coming back to understanding what we need to be seen, heard, listened to, appreciated, loved, all of those things apply just as much in parenting as they do in the world of business. It's the science of human interaction and feeling connected. So it's a masterclass, what you just gave in that. And I urge everyone to dig into time to parent, especially if you're serving the families that are out there, especially now that the challenges are so great, but for anyone who's looking at how to take better care of themselves, and how better to nurture in what you do, this book is full of gems, as is Julie on every level. So Julie, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. For everyone out there, this has been another episode of Standout. Until the next episode, please do take care of yourself, stay safe, and enjoy your journey.
0: That's all for today's episode of Standout, brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to join, learn more about our educational offerings, local chapters, and more.